0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Take your Bibles and meet me in Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1050 in that Bible. We started a new series last week that we called the upside down kingdom and we do have a study guide to go with this Which you can get at the hub for five dollars. We don't make any money on that That's just what they cost, but we kicked it off last week if you missed the message you can catch up online But the heart of this series is that when Jesus came to earth and began his ministry He began preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is here The kingdom of heaven has arrived on earth. And we often think of heaven as the place we go one day. And there is an element of that that, yes, we will see the fullness of it one day. But when Jesus came, he said, heaven has arrived on earth now. I'm starting to build my kingdom here on earth now. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a citizen of this kingdom, and our job as citizens of the kingdom is to live out the ways of the kingdom. Our job is to follow in the way that the Lord tells us to live. And a lot of times, the ways that the Lord tells us to live is completely backwards to the way the world tells us to live or to the ways that our flesh would want us to live, or with what the enemy would have us do. The ways of God are often so different, and so we wanted to take some time in this series just to dig into that and unpack that a little bit. What are the ways of the kingdom of heaven? How are we supposed to be living? Uh, how are they different than the way maybe society tells us to live, or my natural uh, sinful instincts would tell me to live? What is the better way to go? Our tagline for the series is, to learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of of the king. To learn the ways of the kingdom is to find the will of the king. If we want to live in a way that is pleasing to God, we have to know what are these ways of the kingdom, and how are they different, and how can we learn more and more how to walk in those ways. So I want to show you a video clip as we get going. It's from a movie from the 90s called Malice. And in the scene that we're about to see, uh, Malice, there's a story of this doctor who is uh, just a renowned doctor, top of his class, just good at everything, and he has done a surgery that he has botched, and so now he is being sued. And so this scene is the deposition as the lawsuit is unfolding, and as he is uh, being questioned under oath, uh, he is sharing a bit of his philosophy of life. He's not a good guy, okay? I'll say that right off the bat. I'm not endorsing what he's saying. He's going to say some pretty awful stuff. We're supposed to be shocked by what he is saying. And so this is him being asked by the opposing counsel, uh, do you have a God complex as a doctor? Do you think you're above it all? Do you think you're above the law? So Dan, let's go ahead and play. So that is meant to be shocking. He is the villain in the story. He is the one who is the evil character, and he is sharing something that is a very extreme uh, version of the self-centeredness that we all struggle with. None of us would ever say that the way he just said it, and yet... Even if his view of it is more extreme than most, even if his view of it is twisted up with a lot of stuff, what he's essentially saying is actually the problem of the human condition. Right, Jason? You're a really reformed guy. He's nodding. Yeah, absolutely, yes. That is the problem, is that in one way or another, we want to be God. And we learned this from the very, very beginning. We talked about this a bit last week, that a baby who is screaming in the middle of the night for its needs to be met is not going, well, maybe I should put mom first and let her sleep a little bit longer. For the baby, they are the center of the universe, right? And they will scream and squall until their needs are met. We have to teach our kids as they get older to share. We have to teach our kids to put others first. We have to teach our kids to listen and obey. This is not natural to us. It has to be taught to us. It often has to be disciplined into us because it is so counter to our natural fallen nature. We talked last week that from the beginning, Adam and Eve, uh, the only two humans in existence, walk with the Lord, enjoy fellowship with Him face to face. When the devil came tempting, the nature of the temptation was, cross that line that God told you not to cross because if you do you will be like god you will be you won't need a god you won't need to follow commandments from someone else you'll have all the knowledge you need you'll have everything you need you can totally exist without god you don't need a god you can be your own god that was the nature of the first temptation they fell for it and we have fallen for it ever since that the problem is we don't like to be told what to do we are an independent creature In this world, we like to be able to do what we want. We like to be able to set our own goals. We like to be able to set our own rules. We don't like to be told what to do. And so the idea that there is a God and that we are accountable to Him and that we should do what He says is actually pretty revolutionary. It's pretty countercultural, it is very upside down. To the way the world wants to run, to the way the flesh wants to run, to the way the devil wants to run. It is completely different. And yet, if we are followers of Jesus, of course, that is what we have signed up for. Because it says, For followers of Jesus, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You have given up the boss ship, the lordship, the headship of your life in order to follow after another. And that is very upside down to the natural state of affairs. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. Let's take a look at our text this morning. We're in Luke chapter 17. Just a few verses, Jesus tells a little parable that helps us understand this a little bit more. Starting in verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Amen? That's not such a warm, fuzzy verse. There's lots of warm, fuzzy verses. That's not one of them. And one of the challenges of, of walking through Scripture and walking with Jesus, uh, the phrase will get you sometimes, that when we are students of the Bible, we have to be able to hold truth's in tension. And what that means is the Bible says a lot of different things, and some of it sort of bumps up against other things that it says. And so part of the wrestling match for those of us who are, uh, are students of Scripture and are trying to follow after Jesus is how do we hold these different truths in tension with each other? Because the Bible says in this passage, you're an unworthy servant and you're just doing what you're told. You shouldn't expect anything special, right? That's, that's part of the teaching of Scripture. You're a servant. And yet the Scripture also says you are a son, you are a daughter. The Scripture also says you are beloved, like a bride. The Scripture also says that you are blessed, you are... You are highly favored. You are entitled to the promises of the covenant of God. And so none of those are more true than the other, but when they all come together, we have to be able to figure out a way to kind of fit them together. That God uses these different pictures in His Word, different metaphors to help us understand Him better, to help us understand ourselves better. And we don't want to lean too far on one or the other, because it would be very, very easy to just focus solely on, I am a son of God, I am loved by God, and I have all the blessings of God and just stay there and that is not untrue it's just not the whole truth it would be easy to go the other way and just go I'm an unworthy servant I'm an unworthy servant I'm an unworthy servant and miss out on the love and the blessing of God as well So we want to engage with all of God's truth and be able to to look at all of it and understand every picture that God uses is true. It's just a different aspect of our connection. It's a different aspect of our relationship with him. And where we lean too far one way, maybe naturally, or lean too far the other way, it's good to engage with the other side to make sure that we're not out of balance. And so this is one of those passages that uh, is a little out of, of the norm in terms of we typically tend to emphasize our relationship with God as as children, as princes and princesses of the king. Again, that's all true. Jesus would say, hey, I don't call you my servant, I call you my friend. Because friends tell each other things, and you guys are gonna know what God is doing, because the Holy Spirit's gonna reveal it to you. And that is also absolutely true. It is also absolutely true, this picture that he gives us in this parable, that reminds us of what our place is with him as well. So we need to be able to to connect with all of it and give a little bit of room in our thinking and our theology for all of it. So Jesus sets a a picture that would have been pretty familiar at the time, less familiar for us. Most of us do not have servants. But in verse 7 and 8, here is the scene. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Suppose there is a servant who has been putting in a 14-hour day out in the fields, right? They have been working hard. That is their job. When the servant comes in, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Like, will he say, hey, you've worked a hard day, take a load off? You go, that's not actually the relationship between servant and master. Because when the servant comes in, the master says, no, prepare my supper. Get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink and after that you may eat and drink. Now that pushes against our ideas of of fairness and and class and everything that uh, we don't deal with quite as much in our culture, maybe in the same way. But for the servant, that was just absolutely was was expected. You do your full day in the field, that's your job. You come in and you wait on the family, that's your job. Once your job is done, then you get to take care of yourself. And not saying that's a good thing, but that's just the way it was. That was the expectation. So there is a picture there that is shared that Jesus gives to us. And, of course, in any story like this, Jesus is the master, and we fit in around that. In this case, we are the servant. And we called this sermon, God is God. And the subtext of that is God is God, and you are not. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not God. Do it super sarcastically and hurtfully. You are not God. And we would say, well, of course, I'm not God, right? You watch that video and say, oh my goodness, who would ever even say that? Yeah, even if we know we're not, even if we would never say it like Alec Baldwin says it, at the same time, whenever we're living our lives in a way that we are putting ourselves first, where we are ignoring God's word, where we are going our own way, where we are being selfish and self-centered, we are essentially saying, I'm just being God of my own life right now. I am doing it myself. God is God, and you are not. I am not. And that is something we have to learn. That is something we have to embrace. But true lordship, if we say Jesus is Lord, it's not just about we give him a name or we pray a prayer or we sing a song. If we are really saying Jesus is Lord, we are saying he is the boss. He's the boss. And if he's the boss, I'm not the boss. And if he says, go this way, and I would rather go this way, if he's the boss, I go this way. And I give up what I want in order to go after what he wants. I submit my will to his will. I submit my preferences to his preferences. If Jesus is really Lord, then he has to be Lord. And one of the things that happened as evangelism moved towards the end of the 20th century is it became all about how do we get people to pray the prayer? Right? How do we get people, It's you know, how do we get them to sign the contract? I'm going to follow after Jesus. And many of us came to Jesus through praying something like the sinner's prayer, and that's an amazing start. But if we're going to pray a prayer that says, Lord, I I need the forgiveness of my sins, and and I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life, that prayer has to translate then into a life that is changing into a life that is following. James says, faith without deeds is dead, right? Even the demons believe that Jesus is Lord, but they're not getting to heaven. So if we're going to believe, that belief has to translate into something. And while we expect perfection from nobody, the expectation is, if we're following after Jesus, we are actually following after him. If we are saying we're going to call ourselves Christians, Scripture says, then we actually have to live like Jesus did. And sometimes the ways that Jesus calls us to live, again, are just so upside down to our natural way of doing things. Because I would honestly, if if push came to shove, I would rather do it all on my own. I would rather do whatever I want to do, if I'm talking about where my just natural sort of default sinful self is at, and yet, because I have bowed a knee to Jesus, and I've said, Jesus, you are Lord, that means I have to sacrifice some things in order to actually live out His Lordship in my life. It's so different than what my flesh wants. It's so different than what the world is telling us. Through media, through music, through movies, through, through politicians, through everything. Because we talk—it's been called the age of entitlement that we live in right now. Uh, psychologists have named it that. The, we're in the age of entitlement where everything is about you and what's best for you, and and how how it can be all about you. Um, It's very much focused on, uh, hey, you deserve so much. You deserve this. You're entitled to this, right? One of the challenges of sharing the gospel in the age of entitlement is uh, there was a time where even before uh, sort of society went the way it went, even for people who didn't believe in God, there was at least a respect for the Bible There was a respect for for church. There was a respect for Christians. And now it's really hard when we have a Bible where Jesus says, I'm the truth, right? Follow after me. I am the truth. And when I say that to people, sometimes I get, well, that's your truth, right? That's not my truth. And so the idea that there is just truth is rapidly disappearing in our culture right now. The idea that there could be just one universal truth is so unpleasant to the culture, and it makes it really difficult to share Jesus. We have to figure out, okay, well, what's it going to look like then to share? Um, If if the premise is that, hey, there's truth, and we believe we have it, and the the pushback is, well, that's not my truth, that's just your truth, then we're going to need to figure out what's another way then, or what's another way to communicate it. But it is there. I've shared this before. Uh, There's this slogan from a well-known brand that's always bothered me for a long time, Uh, L'Oreal, because you're worth it. (laughs) How does it know that I'm worth it? Oh, it saw saw that I served my country and I I sacrificed for my children and I've lived a good, no, just you're worth it because they want your money. And anything that's a little more luxurious, they have to appeal to that, hey, you deserve this, you're entitled to this. I didn't take it in any in-depth study, but in high school I took a marketing class, this was in the 90s, And for most of the 20th century, for about 100 years, the whole advertising philosophy was basically show people that there's a hole in their life, present this product as the thing that's going to fill that hole, and then people will buy that product. And so if you're feeling really lonely or whatever, it's like, hey, well, if you crack, crack open a can of Coke, maybe you'll go to this beach party with all these people in this commercial. Right? Or if you're feeling inadequate or whatever, drive this sports car, and then you'll really feel like a man. Right? Or if you're valuing time with your kids more, then here's a cleaning product that'll give you more time, because it's so effective that you're going to be able to play with your kids in no time. Like, whatever it was, it was, there's a hole in your life, this product will fill that hole, so go out and buy that product. It was tremendously effective. And then what began to happen as we got more and more entitled, and as our culture, honestly, just got more and more well off and more and more comfortable financially, they found that it was really hard to convince people that there was a hole in their life. That people began to feel like, you know what, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty comfortable. I'm doing all right. And so that's where it began to shift more towards because you're worth it. Because you deserve it. You've earned a vacation. You go out there and you do that. And I remember when I went to Africa and meeting with pastors who were living on $400 a year, and around that time there was a big cruise line and they were constantly just, you've earned this vacation, you work hard, you take care of your kids, you're a good person, you've earned this vacation. And looking at these wonderful pastors living in poverty and going, they just didn't live in the right spot to be able to go on that cruise. Right? It's not that they're worse people than all of us in North America. It's just that they weren't born in the right place. They earned it. They deserve it. But they're never going to be able to jump into that level of luxury. And in the age of entitlement, it has to be about you. What's in it for you? What luxury can we help you enjoy? And so along comes Jesus then, upside down to all of this, and says, not about you at all. Right? You serve the Lord, and you do it His way. You serve others, and you put them ahead of yourselves. You sacrifice your finances. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice in the service of others. It's not about you. It's upside down to what my flesh wants to hear. It's upside down to what the world is telling me. It's upside down to the enemy's philosophy. But moving on, Jesus, in our parable, would say in verse 9, like, will, will the master thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And the rhetorical question has the real answer of, well, no, because that's not what a master has to do to the servant. I mean, yes, of course, a boss or someone, if you say good job like that, I'm not saying that. That's a good thing. Encouragement can be good. Uh, Jesus encourages us as well. But it's all about what's the expectation, right? Do I, am I expecting that this is going to be about me? Does the master fuss over the servant? It's like, no, because the expectation is that the servant's going to do their job. I was talking to someone recently who is involved in a business where they they hire people and and fire people sometimes and uh, so they interview a lot of people and especially as they're interviewing people sort of 30 or younger. um, He was saying that a a question that often comes back to him in an interview where the the applicant will ask him, uh, what are you going to do for me in this job? And it's hard not just to say pay your salary. A salary is what you're getting out of this. Do your job. Because there is something in us that is, is looking out for us. And it's not just that's. there's no age connected to that. That is just the way that we are. But it's about what's expected. And the point of this parable is you, you just do what's expected. That's what a servant does. Jesus has expectations of us. We are to do it without complaining and without saying what's in it for us or what am I getting out of it we are here to serve and we are here to obey and again obedience is something we typically have to learn and it's, it's something we learn a lot when we're kids but it's an ongoing thing that we learn as we grow up if you have ever seen a kid throwing a tantrum a two or three-year-old <laughs> it's uh, that hit close to home uh, <laughs> But it's so fun, like I saw a kid throwing a tantrum uh, in a public place the other day. We were in a, a big, one of the big stores and two-year-olds throwing a tantrum, kicking and screaming. The poor mother is horrified and embarrassed. And someone came along and said, oh, like can I, can I give them a candy? And the mom said, no, we're not, we're not rewarding this behavior, no. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I have been there with my kids and, and most parents have and kids seem to know, hey, we're in public, so I can't really get in trouble right now. And, and she eventually wrangled the kid, and it was fine. And, and afterwards, I just thought like, oh, there's no parent who didn't look at her with such sympathy and compassion, right? Oh my goodness, we've been there. We've all been there. But I was just thinking to be in the shoes of that kid, at you know, two years old or three years old, and just how much uh, self-confidence is in there in that moment. It's like you're tiny, and your parent is huge. And there's all this rage and anger. I remember my son telling me once, you can't tell me what to do, you can't make me. And it was like, I literally can. I can pick you up with one hand. Like, (laughs) you're going to your room in one way or another. Right? But, like, that's how much defiance is in there, right? Like, that's how much we don't like to be told what to do. That there's nothing in them that says, oh, there's going to be more consequences if I don't do this, or, oh, I'm going to get in worse trouble, or mom and dad are gigantic and I'm tiny and I should probably just do what they say. Like, that's how built in it is to us naturally that has to be brought out of us. And kids have to learn, no, you obey, mom and dad. I'd never liked it when my parents said because I said so, And yet it comes out of my mouth from time to time, now that I'm a parent, because sometimes that's enough, right? Sometimes that just has to be enough. And we try to explain the why a little bit in a way that our kids can understand it. But ultimately, you're going to do it because mom and dad said you're going to do it. And that's just the way that is. And if that's true of parents and kids, of course, how much greater when it comes to God? And God has said to us, like, you're not going to understand everything, but he said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. My will is perfect, and part of walking with him, even if I don't like everything his word tells me to do, or even if it's a struggle to obey something I feel him leading me to do, at the same time, it comes back to that place of trust and faith where I say, I don't like it, but you're Lord. It's not my favorite, maybe, but I'm going to trust that you know better than I do. And whatever my flesh is acting up in, or whatever the world is whispering in my ear, however the enemy might tempt, to say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he is good, and that he is ultimately on my side. And not everything is going to be wonderful, maybe. Not every season is going to be pleasant, and different struggles are going to happen at different times. But Jesus is Lord, and I am not. And I can't take all the benefits of lordship and not expect to do what he calls me to do on the other side. Because Scripture says Jesus is Savior and Lord. And it's really easy to grab onto the Savior part. Right? Sins forgiven? Yes, please. Grace unimaginable? I will take it all. All the blessings and the promises of the word? Who wouldn't want that? But then now bow your knee and know your place and do what he's called you to do. That's a lot harder. Embracing Jesus as Savior can be easier than embracing Him as Lord. But John the Baptist, uh, when he was walking the earth, John was the superstar of his time, the religious superstar. He had the national ministry that everybody knew about. All of Israel was looking to him as a prophet. He was baptizing people to get them ready for the Messiah, and he was investing uh, all this time in preparation. Prepare the way for the Lord was John the Baptist's message. And he would baptize people as a sign of their repentance, that they were saying, yes, Lord, I need my sins forgiven. I am getting ready for the Messiah to come. Everybody knew who John was. And then Jesus comes along, and he starts his ministry, and Jesus and his disciples start baptizing. And some people go to John, Hey, John, you're the Baptist, right? It's right in your name, John the Baptist. That's who you are. And this new guy is coming along, and he's doing the baptizing, and John the Baptist says, That's absolutely perfect. And he says, I'm just coming to prepare the way. He goes, I'm not the groom. I'm just preparing the bride for the groom to come And he would famously say, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. And oh my goodness, if that isn't a perfect prayer for us to pray all the time. Lord, in my life, you become more, I become less. Chris has to get out of the way more and more. Chris has to lower himself more more and more. Chris has to humble himself more and more so that Jesus can show himself as greater. That he might increase, and we might decrease. That he might glorify himself in us, and we don't worry about any glory for ourselves. Jesus would wrap up the parable saying, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We're not doing anything out of expectation. We're not doing anything uh, out of a sense of self. We are serving the one who has saved us, and, and we are leaving it there. Now the thing is, as we do that, there are wonderful <laughs> blessings that come, right? It's not that he says, "You're just servants," and that's it. This is not so much about function as much as it's about attitude. It's about posture. It's about how are we live, What attitude are we living the Christian life out of? And this that submission to him, where we understand that he must become greater, we must become less. right? We have powerful times of worship here at Meadowbrook Church. We have a, an amazingly devoted worship team. Who works incredibly hard, and they use their gifts to serve, if we are starting to say, wow, our worship team is so amazing, then we are starting to fall into just focusing a bit too much on ourselves, right, at that point. Because the worship team would be the first to tell you, no, it's the Holy Spirit in us that's doing anything, right? God gives the gifts, God gives the anointing, God gives the the dedication and the talent. Um, If God is moving in a worship service, it's because the Spirit is moving. If God is moving in our youth, or in our kids, or on a Sunday, or in our life groups, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving. We had a great meeting on Monday night. We had an information night. Uh, We've had, just over the summer, obviously, we've had uh, Pastor Mesh move on. And that's always tough for a church, transition is always difficult, and so we wanted to have a night where we just shared, kind of, here's where we are, and here's where we're going next, and some of you had questions about things, and it was all just awesome, like it was just, everything was peaceful, and respectful, and gracious, and exciting, and there was a stirring of, we're heading into something new, and even in talking with some of you afterwards, it was just awesome. And one of the things I said that night was, Meadowbrook belongs to Jesus Christ, Right? It's his church. And I know we know that, but I'm, I'm saying it a lot these days. We all just need to remember that. It's his church. And so the whole staff could leave tomorrow, and Meadowbrook would carry on. You'd miss me, probably. But, like, we could all leave tomorrow, and Meadowbrook would carry on because it's Jesus' church. And he said that the kingdom is advancing, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we could all go tomorrow. Maybe it's a little bit sad, but Meadowbrook would continue on. If it can't continue on, then we're putting way too much focus on man and not enough focus on him. It's his church and it's all about him. And so we are wanting constantly to be pointing to him. Like the heart of it is that it's not it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. I didn't really like that worship song this morning. Yeah, we're okay with that. You weren't the intended audience. <laughs> like, I don't like what's happening in this program, or I don't like what's happening over there. My needs aren't being met at this church. You know, okay, well, we are here to serve, for sure, and we are always talking about that part of it, of how can we serve and, and be a part of it, but uh, the church doesn't exist to meet your needs, is the thing. It's here to help you in your walk with Jesus. Of course, it's here to be supportive and encouraging. Of course, you will have needs met in a church. But if we're just hopping church to church saying like, well, I got offended here and I got offended there and my needs weren't met over here, um, you're the problem. Because no church is perfect. As it's often been said, if it was perfect, you wouldn't be allowed in right? We are broken people. We are ordinary people. We are sinful people. We are doing our best to follow Jesus. Most churches out there would say the exact same thing. And so if we're just jumping around trying to get our needs met, we're missing the point of what church is all about, which is the church is primarily there to help you connect with Jesus better, where he will meet all of your And when he's meeting all of your needs, it won't matter if you don't like the worship song. It won't matter if you disagree with a decision that was made about the kids' ministry or whatever. None of that will matter because you'll be walking with him, and he will be meeting all of your needs. And it won't be on us. Uh, We won't have that pressure, uh, that impossible pressure, to try and meet every single need of every single person from every different background and every different maturity and every different stage. Like, it's about Jesus. It's not about us. And of course, the other side of that is, as we come together, again, we do get needs met, and we do enjoy worship together, and we do get to experience fellowship. That's all amazing, but the church exists to glorify Jesus, to spread the gospel. And it becomes a place that we can encourage one another in our faith. And so as we walk with Jesus, even as we're saying we are servants, and he is the master in the context of this parable, there are still untold blessings that come upon the servants, right? Untold blessings that we receive. Even as we say, church is not about you, there are wonderful blessings at being plugged into a church. It doesn't have to be Meadowbrook, but any church that is teaching the Bible, that is glorifying Him, that is engaging with mission, that is a safe and encouraging place, God bless you. Be in any church that does those things. But find a church, plant your roots there. Understand that the reason that plants have roots is because sometimes wind and rain comes. And when you're rooted, you can survive the wind and the rain. Right? When you're planted somewhere right and if we're constantly just transplanting then our roots never get a chance to take hold and when our roots don't take hold the really good fruit doesn't get to come we gotta plug in somewhere and we gotta say I'm hanging my hat here uh, and this is gonna be my home and again that doesn't have to be Meadowbrook by any means but that it has to be somewhere we need to plug our roots into a community somewhere James would say this about our topic today James 4:13 to 16 Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Like, there's a level of submission that we're called to. There's a level of surrender that we're called to where we say, it's not saying don't make plans, it's just saying, as you make your plans, understand that the plans are submitted to the Lord. Lord, if you want me to go and do this, I will do it. If you don't want me to do it, I'm not gonna do that, right? Your life, it's like a mist, Pshh. We had a funeral yesterday for Sally Epp, uh, who many of you would have known. She was a member of the church for a long time. Sally was 100 years old, lived to be 100. That phrase, like, well, if I live to be 100, Sally did. She lived to be 100. Uh, saw all sorts of stuff in a hundred years here on earth and Talking with some of the family afterwards saying even a hundred years on this life is a It's a mist it's here for a moment compared to eternity and Sally so loved Jesus and and so loved uh, Serving him and there is no doubt at all where she is today in glory with him uh, She was so ready to go She was so excited to see him see her husband who had passed away before but Um, The longest life here on Earth is a mist, right? We don't have that much time. Uh, I find as I get older and almost everybody says this, wow, it gets faster and faster and faster. The years tick by quicker and quicker and quicker. Um, That's not going to slow down, as I understand. That's going to accelerate the longer I live. And so it's not about, you know, just it's, it's about knowing our place in all of this, knowing uh, that God is really in control, knowing that we don't actually have control over that much, and knowing that he is Lord, ultimately. Yes, loving Father. Yes, gracious King. Yes, all of those things. Also, Master. Also, Lord. Also, Boss. And if he's the boss, that means that I'm not. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only. Um, And in an age of entitlement, the fear of the Lord is not something that we sing about all the time on a Sunday morning. We'd rather sing about love and grace, which again are truths, but they're not the entire truth. The Bible tells us over and over again, fear the Lord. And it doesn't mean we walk around in terror of Him. Because we're also called to, hey, come boldly before his throne, right? And and engage with him as father, certainly, and and all of these different pictures. But fear the Lord, sometimes people say, well, it's not really fear. It's it's more like an awe or like a reverence. And I actually don't agree with that. And it's not that we walk around in fear of him. But the picture I like is that when I got in trouble as a kid, my parents sent me to my room. And then they would talk together about whatever the discipline was going to be. And then my dad would come to lay down the law, always dad. And when I heard his footsteps coming up the stairs to the bedroom, and I knew the law was about to be laid down, I was not filled with reverence and awe in that moment. (laughs) I was afraid, right? Am I going to get a spanking? Am I going to get grounded? Like I knew consequences were coming because of what I'd done. And when the Bible says fear the Lord, it's not to walk around in terror of Him because He desires connection and communion with us, but it is fear His authority. Fear the consequences of your actions. Fear that there will be consequences to your actions. If I'm driving the speed limit perfectly and I drive past a cop car, I don't even blink. But if I'm going a little bit faster, I go, huh! What's my speed? Because I fear the consequences of, oh, if I, if I got going a little too quick and he's there, then, then I'm in trouble on this one. There will be consequences to that one. And so it's understanding that our actions have consequences. It's understanding that, that although we are loved, we are not above the law. That although God loves us, part of what a loving parent does is discipline us when we cross over the line. And that's not because they they hate us or they're full of rage, but it's because they are wanting us to do what's right. They are wanting us to be obedient. And so we remember our place in all of this, that even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus come as close as he comes to not doing what the Father wants him to do. He doesn't cross the line, but this is as close as he comes. And he's heading to the cross. The weight of it is bearing down on him. Scripture says his sweat was like blood coming down, like he was just so overwhelmed. Uh, He would tell his disciples, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death in this moment. I need to pray. And so he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Look at the attitude behind it. Not, God, I'm not doing it. Or, God, your word says this, so you have to do this, and your word promises protection, so I'm not going to the cross, because otherwise you're violating your word. Oh, have I heard people pray like that in my lifetime. Father, if it's possible... Right? It's not even this is what I want. He prefaces it. If it's at all possible, may this cup be taken. If there's any way to not do this, but not as I will, but as you will. And whatever you're facing in your life, you are not facing anything as difficult as the cross. You are not facing anything like the weight that he was carrying. And even Jesus, in that moment, humbles himself before the Father and says, I will submit to whatever you want. You're the boss. You're the master in this dynamic, and I will do what you want me to do. There's no arrogance in this prayer, even as there's a a hint of a question of, do we have to? There's no arrogance. There's humility, and there's submission in that prayer. For those of us who follow after Jesus, the only thing we can say is, I serve at the pleasure of the king. I serve at his pleasure. I do what he wants. I follow his commandments. I submit to his will. And when the world says, you're entitled, you deserve it, we say, hey, we are unworthy servants. We're just happy to be here. We're just rejoicing in the grace that has been given. We are rejoicing that our sins have been forgiven. If he never gave me anything else in this life, that would be enough. I'm just happy to be here. And I'm happy to give my life in service of the King. I'm happy to submit my will to the Master. I don't like it all the time, but it's my job, that's my role, that's my place. He is God, and I am not. And so we seek to do things His way. When the world is saying you're entitled, when the flesh is saying do what you want, when the enemy's saying you don't need a God, we as Christ followers push back on all of those things. And we say, no, it may seem upside down, but God is God, and I am not. And I will do this his way. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here today. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you do have any questions, if you want to keep chatting about the sermon, if you want to grab a coffee, I would be happy to do all of that. You can send those questions into there. So it is kind of rude to say to somebody, know your place. But in the context of this parable, the message of the parable is, know your place when it comes to our walk with Jesus. That... Again, as much as he loves us, as much as he loved us to the point of being willing to die for us, As much as He loves us like a groom loves a bride, as a father loves a child, as much as He calls us friends, all of these things are true. We want to make sure we're balancing it all out with the other side, that we're not just staying in that place of focusing on His love and His blessings. We are also reminding ourselves that He is always God. Even with the intimacy that we can experience, this is not an equal friendship. This is not an equal relationship. He is God, and we are not. So the appropriate response is to humble ourselves. The appropriate response is to to submit our will to his. The appropriate response, of course, is to worship. And we want to worship a little bit more before we go today. And so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we get ready to close. So this message isn't so much like here's five things to do as you go out this week. It's more of a, a heart check. It's more of an attitude check. It's more of a posture check. And maybe for it today, as you head out, it's just time to take some time and just ponder, okay, is there anywhere in my life that I am not listening where I am doing my own thing? Is there anywhere in my life where I am struggling to to follow after what I know He wants me to do? Maybe it's time for just a fresh commitment today to say, you know what? I've gotten away from this, but Lord, You are Lord, and I am going to follow You as Lord. Maybe it's time for a first-time commitment if you've never done that before. To say, you know what, I need my sins forgiven. Jesus, I will follow you as Lord. And maybe that's the step for you. You'll figure it out as you pray through it this week. But the heart of it is, where's your heart at when it comes to walking in obedience and submission to the Lord? And as we get that right, what might that then spill over into? And how we're living, how we're acting, how we're talking, what we're doing, where do we go from there? Let's pray together. Father, your word at times challenges, at times your word convicts, and uh, and today was one of those days, Lord, and we just invite uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come to our hearts and to our minds in areas where we need to be convicted. Um, if there's anything that was said beyond that today, Lord, let it fall away. But let your spirit now do his work in all of us as you show us, Lord, where we are at, what needs to happen, what needs to change, where we can uh, focus differently or where we can set our hearts right, where we can change the way we're living out of this, Father. You know. And so come, Holy Spirit, as we leave this place and continue to speak, continue to convict, continue to show us where we need to go from here. And we pray, Father, that as we do, your conviction never comes with condemnation. It comes with hope. It comes with love. It comes with grace to move forward. And so as you are showing us where we need to go, give us the grace to get there, Father. Give us the strength to get there. Give us the encouragement to get there as we follow after you. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to a higher place and even in this season. At Meadowbrook Church, you are calling us to a higher place. You are calling us closer to you, and we want to be there with you, Lord God. So help us, Father, to walk with you greater, to understand your ways greater. And as we live out the ways of this upside-down kingdom, Lord, that you would give us the courage to live differently than the world around us, to live differently than what our flesh wants, to live differently than what the enemy would have us do, that we would be a holy people living in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything at all this morning, we have people at the front who would be happy to pray with you. Come on forward, and we'd be happy to spend some time with you this morning.